I think I would define entrepreneurship as finding or creating opportunities that um, solve problems in a way that other people will find valuable. I love that. That's a really, really good definition. Yeah, I, I love that question because it's so different for so many people. Similarly to how everyone's path defining their freedom through entrepreneurship has been so different. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast. On today's episode, we sit down with Travis Albord. Travis has been co-founder of a fintech startup, a software company, multiple direct-to-consumer dietary supplement companies. He is an avid ultramarathoner. Those are 50 and 100-mile races through the mountains. He's an early Bitcoin and crypto adopter, a father of two beautiful boys, a real estate investing enthusiast, and in his spare time, enjoys reading academic research journals. Not to mention, Travis is my good friend and my business partner. On today's episode, we discuss entrepreneurship, the art of the startup, real estate investing tips, and self-discipline. I really enjoyed this conversation with Travis, and I think you will too. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast, Travis. Thanks for having me. Welcome, my friend. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Good to be here. Needless to say, Travis, we've been super excited to interview you. Let's start with where we met. I was trying to think of the list of things that you did as hustles in high school. Can you go through those for us? Yeah, I've, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I think it started in middle school. I, uh, I would buy um, gum and uh, blow pops at Costco in bulk and uh, sell them for a quarter. And um, in high school, I did a few different things. I sold uh, car audio equipment, um, which I had a wholesale account to buy. Um, but my biggest business in high school was um, selling custom CDs. I think it was uh, 1998. I bought a four-speed CD burner for about 600 bucks, which was a, uh, a big investment for a high school kid. And um, started selling CDs at 20 bucks a pop and uh, downloaded a bunch of MP3s on my slow 56K modem. And uh, that kept me pretty busy in high school. And uh, also did some DJing. Dude, that was my favorite thing. I remember Travis put together this full binder of like, was it thousands of songs you had back then, Travis? You were just constantly downloading and updating. Yeah, it was, it was over a thousand. Yeah, yeah. It was so cool. So I'm in high school. I'm like going through, like so excited about creating my own custom CD. And I'm like, oh yeah, definitely this, uh, no diggity. All right, yeah. And you go through and you'd have your own custom CD and he'd like make it all professional looking. And I was like, 20 bucks, that's kind of a lot. But it was like this thing where everyone would talk about like, oh, did you get one of like Travis's like custom CDs? Because no one had even thought about that concept at this point. And no one was even really burning CDs at that point. But Travis was just flying these things out there and everyone would be driving through bumping their custom Travis CD in high school. It's like the funniest thing ever. I love it. Local legend. I think for our younger listeners, guys, we should probably um, try to help them understand that there was this world before Spotify, before Pandora, where you didn't have the ability to just stream songs on demand. And um, yeah, it sounds like Travis kind of cornered the market long before uh, all those streaming services came out. Thing. Isn't it amazing yeah. how old 40 feels at this at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, Travis. Uh, so you were an entrepreneur like from the start. Uh, can you explain a little bit about like how you even thought about being an entrepreneur or starting these things up? Like what was your influence back then? You know, I think it kind of runs in my blood. It's always uh, come natural for me to 
identify opportunities and get excited about running a business to, uh, to capitalize on them. Um, I didn't have any uh, impetus for my parents when I started that in middle school. Um, I think a big influence was my father, who was the founder of a fire and life safety system company in uh, Southern California. And I remember I was always so proud of him. You know, we'd stop by the office and thought it was so cool that my, my dad was the boss. And um, we were also uh, early adopters of technology. My dad had a 286 computer and I grew up uh, playing around in DOS and programming in QBasic. Yeah, standard things for like a junior high, high school kid to just be playing around with like <laughs> early year programming. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's what we all did, right? <laughs> I think I think that gives the audience a little bit of a sneak peek into your, um, you know, how how you really are like a self starter, and you just kind of challenge yourself and like find your own path, um, but also just your um, intelligence level. You know, you were valedictorian of your high school. Um, then one of your mission went to BYU. Were super successful there. Um, you know, I think it's I, I think it's really incredible. There's not very many people I know in my life that just uh, sort of look into their own um, interests and become an expert in it uh, just without anyone telling them anything or doing anything. It's something I really admire about you. So, so good on you, Travis. Thanks. So Travis, after you graduated as valedictorian from high school, you took your talents to Utah and went to BYU to study philosophy and logic. Is that, am I getting that right? Yep, that's right. All right. So how do we go from being a philosophy and logic major into becoming the successful business person that you are today? I was really interested in law in uh, high school. I, uh, one of the uh, topics that I became really interested in was um, the uh, vehicle code. You know, I got a ticket as a high school kid and I wanted to get out of the ticket like most people do. But um, my kind of curiosity drive led me to really get into it and um, become an expert on the uh, speed trap provisions of the California Vehicle Code. And so um, fought a number of tickets, uh, had an appellate reversal as a high school student, really enjoyed it. And so the philosophy degree was because I was planning to do law school. Um, but my last few years of college, I really became interested in the, the science of strength training and body recomposition. And um, I wanted to double major in exercise science, but my university didn't allow that. Um, but I could still enroll in any classes I wanted. So I took a number of kind of um, health sciences classes my last two years of uh, college like uh, biology, chemistry, statistics, anatomy, nutrition. And um, that just really fed my curiosity. All right, Travis, I don't think you're doing justice to these things. Before you finish the story, I want to... So in high school, he basically fought and beat, I don't know, like 10 plus tickets and like ended up having a judge tell him, like, I can't even oversee this case because I'm too biased to, to, to see it. So that's the, first cool thing wanted, that's the first cool thing I wanted to point out. The second thing is Travis just literally said in college, he took extra classes that he didn't have to take. I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone that took a bunch of extra, and those are not easy sounding classes, just to learn, which is, I think, such a cool thing to really talk about maximizing your opportunity in college and learning. Um, it's such a, yeah, it's such a cool, unique thing that you did, Travis. So sorry to jump in there, but I thought that was such a cool thing. I'm glad you jumped in there, John, because I was going to, I was going to highlight the same thing. I mean, I can't imagine, I just remember as a college student, you'll do anything to 
to not go to class and and do as go to as few classes as possible. So the idea of you know finding something that you are very interested in and making that that effort to to go do more than than what's the minimum requirement is is really uh, exceptional. So to be fair, there were a number of classes that I had to take that I wasn't that interested in, and so I did my fair share of doing as little as I had to in order to pass the class. <laughs> but you still went to a bunch of extra classes to make up for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I made up for it. All right. So, so how does that um, get you to be the CEO of a dietary supplement company when you graduate? Yeah. So uh, in college, I uh, you know I was a skinny twenty-something. Uh, and uh, trying to put on some muscle uh, to attract the ladies. And um, my focus kind of shifted from an interest in law to an interest in the life sciences related to, you know, hypertrophy and strength. And I really started spending all of my free time on um, a number of online forums related to bodybuilding. And, um, I spent a lot of time also just going through the academic literature, um, discussing supplements and uh, their evidence base for different purposes, you know, whether it's building muscle, losing fat, um, improving recovery, and um, kind of made a name for myself, um, you know, discussing those things online. And uh, I was approached by a dietary supplement company that wanted uh, my assistance in putting together a formulation for their product. And that kind of opened the door and um, decided to start a little consulting business doing that and uh, did that for a few years and um, gained some experience in that domain. And um, from there, um, I kind of vacillated between um, still doing law school, my original plan, um, going back to school somewhere else for exercise science. Uh, I was interested in medicine and also had kind of a lifelong interest in entrepreneurship and uh, ultimately decided to go the entrepreneur route um, with my brother. Do you feel like consulting is a good kind of bridge from, you know, doing the, the corporate nine to five um, on the way to moving into entrepreneurship? You mentioned, you know, consulting was part of your path. I know some people, some people have done that on their way to becoming a, a business owner. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You're going to gain experience, um, you know, self-directed. So um, you can kind of see if you're built to have the, um, you know, motivation to, you know, build your own business and income and opportunities. Um, and yeah, with that experience you gain, then yeah, you can bridge into actually running a business of your own. So I think that's it's a great stopping point. Yeah, I think it's super interesting how you had the interest to basically, so you re read published medical journals just for fun to learn more about the exercise science, which you had a passion about. And then you would just go in and research a bunch of different things um, through the published medical journals that you were reading and looking into some of the other ingredients that you thought were interesting Um it's such like an interesting, you know, discipline that you had to, to do those things. And how did that really lead into you starting this dietary supplement company then? Yeah, I'm, I've always been kind of an extreme autodidact. I, I love to learn. Um, I think what motivates me is um, a curiosity to understand how things tick, how things work. 
And, um, you know, when it came to building muscle, it drove me crazy that there were so many different um, approaches to, you know, how to best do that and very conflicting advice and kind of, you know, pop culture, bodybuilding magazines. And so, you know, I thought, you know, there's <laughs> things aren't pointing in the same direction here. So I kind of turned to the uh, academic literature, which I always felt was going to be some of the most authoritative and reliable. And, um, you know, initially it was just kind of personal interest, um, something that would benefit me personally. What supplements do I want to take? Um, how can I avoid wasting money on supplements that don't work? And uh, once I became pretty good at that, then I found out I had a skill that other people could derive benefit from. A cool thing that I think you're jumping over is that you were actually like working out heavy in the gym and you were basically looking like a bodybuilder at this point in your life from whatever, whatever your weight was in high school, college, what, like 140, 150, like what was the weight you got up to when you were doing this, like bodybuilding full on exercise routine? Yeah, so I was uh, pretty deep into bodybuilding for uh, a little over a decade, and I was six days a week in the gym. It was it was a religion, and uh, extremely dedicated. Started actually at one thirty five. Yikes! Um, yeah, very skinny. <laughs> I was walking around uh, Brazil for two years as a a missionary for my church, and um, only got one good meal a day. And so when I came home, yeah, I was one one thirty five at five eleven. Um, over those 10 years of bodybuilding, I just consistently gained weight and strength and muscle mass. And, uh, ultimately, you know, I, I didn't look so great, but at the peak of, uh, bulking cycles, um, I was 240. Um, but I kind of settled at around 215 when I was, wow. And that's no steroids, shape. correct? Correct. <laughs> Zero steroids. All right. So I cut you off there, Travis. All right. So you're, you're, uh, doing this, the, the this research about all these products, and some of them don't work and there's mixed information about it. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for the product that you started and how'd that start? So, uh, yeah, during that time when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do exactly with my life, um, my, uh, my girlfriend's, um, brother-in-law, uh, wanted some advice. He was a natural heart gainer, skinny, uh, always struggled to put on weight. And so I advised him, Hey, you just need to eat more. Like, uh, fortunately there's no shortcuts there. And he said, well, I already eat a lot, so that's not it. And I'm like, no, that is it. It's literally the opposite problem that, uh, people who are trying to lose weight have, and they're fighting their appetite, they're hungry and they have to not eat. And you have the opposite problem. You feel full and you have to continue eating. You kind of have to force feed yourself. And, um, the light bulb kind of clicked when I said, you know what, if you were losing weight, um, I would tell you that you could take an appetite suppressant, which really helps with the appetite side of things. But unfortunately for gaining weight, there's not really any, um, supplements that are appetite stimulants. You know, you can take a thousand calorie weight gain shake, which is perfect, but if it completely wipes out your appetite for the rest of the day and you end up skipping dinner, well, then it just served as a meal replacement and there's no surplus of calories. And so, you know, really, you're just going to have to force feed yourself. And so this was uh, the light bulb moment. It sounds like it was a light bulb moment. Yeah. There's an opportunity here. There are a lot of hard gainers and, um, you know, th th instead of a product that's geared towards delivering calories, why don't we develop a product that's geared towards stimulating appetite so people can 
successfully eat more of whatever is in their diet. It's kind of counter, counterintuitive. I, I know over the years, a lot of people go, what, do, what does your cousin do again? What, what is that business? <laughs> and I talk about weight gain and they, they give me this funny look like, Wait, that's a business? They built a business around gaining weight? Doesn't everybody want to lose weight? Yeah. Invariably, when I tell people what I do, they say, oh, well, I have the opposite problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a good percentage of the population that's uh, underweight. They have fast metabolisms, weak appetites. Um, men and women, um, and um, also a lot of uh, seniors. And so it's um, a much smaller market than weight gain, but there's still definitely a market there. Or sorry, a smaller market than weight loss. So from that light bulb moment, how do you get to creating a product and starting a business with it? Well, I kind of uh, utilized the skills I had developed. I uh, jumped into the academic literature, um, started downloading lots of papers, looking at different pathways related to uh, appetite and um, tried to identify supplements that could uh, interact with those. And um, one of the uh, major systems is the cannabinoid system. Um, cannabis is famous for giving people the munchies. And so I thought, uh, hey, potentially there's something along this line. And so I started looking and uh, sure enough, there are some non-cannabis um, sources of uh, phytocannabinoids. And uh, one of those is uh, echinacea, which is widely used for immune boosting. Um, but there are particular parts of the echinacea plant and uh, particular species that have these um, particular uh, constituents that can activate that same receptor system. And so started going down that road. And um, first it was just an idea, but um, got my brother Tyler on board to launch a company and um, not too soon after launching, we were um, getting a patent issued and um, invested a lot of money putting it through a clinical trial, which most supplement companies don't do. Um, it's pretty easy to make grandiose claims that really aren't substantiated with more than a, you know, a study in a Petri dish or you know, a rat, which you're not supposed to do, but supplement companies um, routinely do it. So yeah, we put it through, through the test in a... Uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial. And uh, sure enough, it um, increased the rate of waking. All right, so kind of look at this at a macro level for us. So you had an idea, you did the research to figure out what um, ingredients you wanted to have in the product. You found a reputable manufacturer to put together for you, created label and branding and website, started a company. Um, and then like, what's this launch look like? So you had a website, I guess, and yeah, um, Tyler is the, the IT guy. So he put together the website. Um, both of us are pretty good at ad copy. Um, you know, just the way you word things just right to convey what you're trying to convey. And, um, yeah, just kind of a Hail Mary. We had no idea what to expect. And, um, almost immediately we started getting some sales trickling in and we thought, Hey, there's something here. And uh, within the first few months, we just kind of started seeing this steady upwards trajectory. Super cool. So how, uh, how do you get from upward trajectory? You're doing, I guess, basic, uh, basic kind of online marketing with Google AdWords, I presume. Uh, and then what happens next? Well, then we realized that we were uh, growing faster than we expected and that we needed some help. And so that's where you come in, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> I'm really good with the uh, technical side of things with product development, manufacturing, uh, regulatory compliance, um, some of the marketing stuff. 
Tyler's great with the IT stuff, but we needed somebody to help with um, operations. Neither of us are HR people. And um, we had initially tried outsourcing things to um, third-party call centers, um, third-party fulfillment centers. We just weren't happy with um, the quality um, and didn't have economies of scale on that. And so we decided to bring everything in-house and needed some some help in managing our our employees. And Jonathan, that's where you step in. How did you view that, Travis? So, I mean, obviously it's a good problem to have. You got a ton of sales. The company's growing, like you said, faster than either you or your brother anticipated. And now you got this, this guy who's a longtime friend of yours and you are, you know, thinking about, okay, now we got to um, consider bringing another person into this partnership group. What was that thought process like? And uh, can you kind of take us back through that, that decision-making process? Yeah, it, um, you know, it kind of just uh, happened spontaneously. Um, Jonathan and I were in the gym, you know, working out together. And um, I was kind of talking about our growth struggles. And um, I think we both just kind of saw that there was an opportunity there with his background in managing people in hospitality. And uh, initially, Tyler and I just wanted to bring him on as an employee and uh, tried to entice him with an attractive salary. But uh, <laughs> Jonathan was savvy and insisted on equity, which we reluctantly um, granted initially. But it uh, turned out to be, you know, a, a great decision um, having Jonathan vested in the company. And uh, he ended up helping in ways far greater than we could have anticipated um, beyond just HR issues. Yeah, I don't think I ever heard that part of the story. That's interesting because um, I think obviously as a as a business owner, you you'd prefer in most cases to offer salary compensation, maybe bonus and commissions. But um, yeah, giving up equity can be kind of a scary thing to do, a scary decision. But at the same time, like I think you mentioned, if you um, do bring someone on and, and give them that equity, then they do feel more vested in the business and that could lead to more contributions and better performance when they feel like they are an owner in the company or when they are technically an owner in the company. I think a good solution, which is what we did, is um, something called reverse vesting. You know, typically in companies where people have vesting, um, they slowly accrue their equity um, as they stay with the company. And, uh, you know, prior to accruing it, you don't have that stake. Uh, when you do reverse vesting, you can um, essentially give all the equity up front. And so, you know, Jonathan came on as, um, you know, close to a one third partner, and he immediately started taking close to one third of the profit distributions of the company. So he immediately felt like a full partner. But with reverse vesting, um, if he were to leave the company, either because things didn't work out or he decided to quit, um, he didn't just have that equity. He would lose most of it if he, you know, quit after the first year. Um, and so it was over, I think it was five or six years that all that equity kind of ramped up so that once he left, he, you know, would kind of have that equity stake um, to, that he'd be compensated for. But um, that's really a, a great strategy to move forward. If you're thinking about bringing on a partner, you want them to feel immediately motivated, um, but you still want to protect yourself against them you know, leaving or things not working out. Yeah. One of the cool things that I felt when I joined up with you guys is how incredibly aligned all the skill sets were. 
you know, you were creating the products, managing the manufacturing, doing the legal work for us. Tyler was building out this software, doing our website, um, you know, creating all these incredible systems. And then I was hiring, training, building out our people um, and doing our finances. And we really were all just, you know, organically in our lanes um, really cleanly. And I think that's a, a really important piece of why it worked out so well so quickly is that uh, we had a partnership where everyone organically, you know, fit well together. We had a mutual respect for each other. I was very aware that both of you are much smarter than me. So I would rely on you on, um, you know, sort of making the really important decisions. And, um, and I kind of kept my head down, just kind of building out the team and working on expanding our marketing and doing all these things. Um, but it really felt super effortless, which I think is a really cool piece of why it was so enjoyable for us and why it was so successful so quickly. Yeah, I agree. You know, we all bring um, unique skills to the table. We could recognize each other's um, domains of expertise. And uh, also in the many areas where we did collaborate, where, you know, we would kind of overlap and uh, work on certain things together. Um, and we worked well together. We had fun. And uh, I think another component to our success is that with the inevitable conflict that would come with being business partners, um, you know, we knew how to bite our tongue for the most part and not say things in the heat of the moment that we would later regret. And, you know, that's kind of a positive trait for all relationships in life, but um, I think is an important ingredient for us uh, sticking together. Yeah. To have long-term success, you definitely got to be able to get along in addition to just bringing the skill sets that are complementary. Um, I kind of wanted to change gears a little bit, going back to, you know, you had mentioned earlier um, at BYU, taking those extra extra classes or attending extra classes on things that interested you. Um, you know, one of the things in today's world, uh, in the U.S. in particular, you have we have this college tuition crisis. And I'm um, kind of curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what uh, what you think the value of college is today versus the expense of it versus the prospect of taking on these 18, 19 year old kids, taking on tens of thousands of dollars of debt, hundreds of thousands in some cases. Uh, what are your general thoughts on the value of college today versus um, you know, what, the, what the expense is? Yeah, I think generally, um, I would say the benefit's incalculable. You know, people can find success without college, no doubt. Um, but I think a, a university education is um, profoundly unique when it comes to, you know, building true wisdom. Um, you know, there's the saying, you don't know what you don't know. And um, I think we have a lot of that in society right now. Um, you know, you may have heard the, the concept of imposter syndrome in which people who have really deep expertise will feel inadequate and incompetent, you know, especially among peers who are also experts. Um, but I think a big a far bigger problem in society right now is the opposite of that, which is the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect, where uh, people are so uninformed of even the most basic principles on uh, many disciplines that they they vastly overestimate their confidence. Um, you know, you see that with people. You know, they'll they'll find a study online. They don't know how to interpret it. They think they're doing their own research, and um, you know, when you don't have even the basic principles in a discipline it's so easy to be misled and think you know what you're seeing when in fact you don't know it at all. And so I think a, a university education just gives people kind of a, a well-rounded education, you know, especially with uh, general ed classes. And, um, 
you know, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that as a benefit, but um, I feel like in terms of um, just becoming a competent adult in multiple domains, um, making you a smarter, more intelligent, more rational person, I think it's really important. Um, the flip side of that is you can spend a lot of money on a college education that doesn't really give you job prospects that increase your earning potential. And um, so I do think it's a double-edged sword. Um, people who are unsure of what they want to study um, sometimes will end up in some of those um, those domains, social sciences. Um, liberal arts degrees. Liberal arts, um, which, which is great, you know, especially... Yeah, philosophy. <laughs> philosophy is good for law school or teaching philosophy. Otherwise, you can't do much with it. Um, but it, it completely changed the way that I, I think about the world, the way I see things, the way I analyze things. Um, and I literally finished college as a different person, you know, a better person. You know, critical thinking skills were just, you know, honed to a razor edge sharpness. And um, I, I, yeah, I just, uh, I can't imagine having gotten that without having gone to college. So, um, so yeah, I think people should be cautious if they're, they're kind of unsure what they want to do. Um, and they're, they're going to college just to go to college. Um, they should think through, you know, career prospects and study, study things that will, you know, actually give them, um, something that gives them a competitive edge in the job market. Um, but, um, other than that, I'm, I'm pro college. I want my kids to go to college. That's such a great point, Travis. I don't think I'd ever really thought about how it does kind of round out your education, taking those GE classes and how that can really help people get a foundation for understanding and having, um, you know, healthy discussions with people and listening to people and learning more. I do think that that's a really important piece I hadn't heard before about um, being pro college. You know, you really more often hear the um, the pro of being building out a network and the people that you kind of meet in college can be lifelong friends and business partners. And, you know, we even started, um, you know, one of our businesses with, uh, some of the friends that you and uh, Tyler had in college. So I think that that's one of the, the more recognized things, but I like, I love that you pointed out that piece of how, um, important college can be just to get general, more understanding of things. Um, I wanted to move to a question on startups um, that I like to ask multi-company founders on what advice would you give to other people like you who had a light bulb moment and now they need to act on it? Yeah, I think there are a few things. Um, the first would be um, to not overinvest in developing the idea prior to launching it. Um, I think the corollary to that is that it's usually a mistake to try to make things perfect. Um, to try to build out every feature you can imagine. And people can spend years kind of in this cycle of um, trying to attain perfection, um, which I think oftentimes also has a psychological component of being afraid um, to actually put it out there and potentially fail. Yeah, fear of failure. Yeah, fear of, fear of failure. And um, I think... People should also be willing to fail early if the idea doesn't seem to be getting traction. And um, good ideas often see immediate success, not always, um, but even if they're still rough around the edges, if, you, if you're doing something right, if you're in the right place at the right time with the right idea, um, I think you'll see that immediate success and you'll have plenty of opportunity to you know, refine what you're doing as you move forward. 
whether it's, you know, adding more features to the software or, you know, making the label on your supplement bottle look more pretty. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, let the market tell you if it's a good idea. You can have all the confidence in the world that this is a amazing problem solution for people, um, but the market will tell you if it's a good idea. And getting it to a point where you think the market has a chance to do that, I think is such an important piece to not waste a lot of time or invest a lot of dollars before you have that market proof. I think that's really a good point. People really overinvest, I think. And um, if you become comfortable with the idea of failing early, um, you know, you'll invest enough that you can launch the product and convey its value propositions. Um, but if it doesn't work out, you know, be ready to move on to the next thing. Don't uh, waste tons of money and time, you know, going down a dead end. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, personally for us, uh, you know, we've come out with a few different products and the market has told a few of us that some of them were good ideas. And some of us initially were told that they weren't, um, weren't acceptable ideas. Um, but an interesting kind of side note is that um, we even had a product that we came up with that we tested in the market. The market told us it was a good idea. But then when we went back and tried to perfect it and, and make it um, properly ready, we took too long. And the market changed in the year plus that we were you know, trying to get the product ready to roll out full scale. Um, and then when we brought it back out, the market had already had a, a bunch of new competitors. It was kind of a hot um, new vertical. Um, so I think that's another interesting thing is, you know, you want to get it out there so you can test it, but you also need to be ready to, you know, get moving on it when you do have that market telling you it's ready before, because some in, in some different industries, things change pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. The good ideas tend to have a lot of competition quickly, for sure. Travis, what are some of the traits that you ascribe to your success? Well, definitely developing expertise in something. Um, you know, there, I think there are a lot of people, especially if they're kind of in the get rich quick mindset, um, they're looking for an opportunity and they, they can oftentimes identify them. But then when they go to launch a product, what they're launching, um, you know, really doesn't meet the needs of the consumer um, because they don't really understand it, you know, and in supplements, that's easy to see. You can launch a supplement and make great claims, but if it doesn't actually do what you say it's going to do, it's not really going to be that successful, you know? Um, so there's, you know, the concept of fake it before you make it, you know, that's true with any business. You, um, you know, there's, there's kind of the fluff aspects of advertising. Um, but um, I think that you can distinguish between faking it until you making it until you make it and just completely faking it. Because you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of just ripping people off. And um, you want to have longevity. You actually have to get to the part where you make it, which involves having a good product. And in order to do that, you need to know what you're doing. 100%. Yeah. Travis, one of the things that I've always noticed about you and even more so during this conversation is that you you went deep and became an expert in the, the field that you ended up uh, starting this business in. And, um, I think like you, like you touched on here, you know, a lot of people want to just jump in and be an overnight success. And you took the time to actually learn it and become an expert before, um, before you actually made the, took that, that, um, light bulb moment and made it a, a successful business. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the people that have influenced you in your life. You mentioned your, your father was, 
uh, successful business owner and watching him growing up and going and checking out his office and seeing dad be the boss was, was uh, kind of a, an inspiration to you. Were there any, any other people that, that kind of come to mind that, that played that role of, of mentor or uh, professional influence for you? Yeah, my, my dad definitely inspired me. Um, I guess one other would be uh, during college um, when I really got into the, um, you know, science of strength training and body recomposition. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of different uh, online forums where you get a lot of lay people just kind of talking about things. Um, but there was one forum, um, bodyrecomposition.com, um, that really had a lot of really smart people. And um, I think a lot of them had um, experience in the field. They were professionals. A lot of them uh, had experience um, kind of assessing academic literature. And, you know, I went on to that forum making all the same mistakes that most people do, you know, posting a study on rats and saying, oh, yeah, look, this supplement works. And then having somebody say, well, no, you know, you can't extrapolate like that. You know, a study in animals um, really only invites the question to be studied in a proper clinical trial in humans. And, you know, they give countless examples of supplements that worked amazingly for rats, but did absolutely nothing for humans. And it was like, oh, okay, that's an education. And, um, you know, I spent hundreds of hours, thousands of hours probably on that forum um, and became personal friends with its founder um, who actually lived in Utah where I was going to college. And um, we would meet up in person. And he's a, a famous author, Lyle McDonald, um, has a number of books that are very heavily research-based, you know, with hundreds or thousands of uh, references. And um, I think he, he kind of embodied um, the kind of evidence-based approach to supplements that really informed me as I moved into my own um, supplement business. That's super interesting. Yeah, other experts that you admired that you kind of um, would mimic what, what, what they were doing because they showed you some of the mistakes you were making. Yeah, good. Learning from your failures is such an important piece, I feel. And I agree with you, like knowing your dad, he was such an impressive entrepreneur and he was so beloved by his employees that he had that, that, that impact on me also, you know, that we want to create a culture where our employees really love working for us. And, you know, we're fortunate that a lot of our employees have, have been with us for many, many years now. Um, and I hope that that's a piece of why that is because we built a culture like your dad where people just really enjoyed working there. They felt appreciated and they continued learning. So I, I, I also second the mentorship from your father and the incredible person that he was. Um, one of the other things that we like to ask entrepreneurs is what they love so much about entrepreneurship. I think the challenge of um, identifying an opportunity you know, you're kind of hunting for that, that in where you, you're going to do something that other people haven't done, or you're going to do it better than they've done it. And then there's the, uh, the open-ended creativity at how to meet a need, um, and the adventure roller coaster of struggle and success. And, um, you know, it's fun to make money and the autonomy is really nice. How would you define entrepreneurship? Um, you know, there's a, a saying that, um, if, uh, opportunity doesn't knock, then, uh, build a door. And, um, I think I would define entrepreneurship as finding or creating opportunities that, um, 
solve problems in a way that other people will find valuable. I love that. That's a really, really good definition. Yeah, I, I love that question because it's so different for so many people. Similarly to how everyone's path to finding their freedom through entrepreneurship has been so different. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question. One of our listeners submitted a question saying, said, I'd love to hear from each entrepreneur. If they were 25 years old right now, what would they get into? Oh, um, you know, I'd probably get into uh, dietary supplements for uh, endurance athletes. Um, just because that's what I'm interested in now. And so I, I actually could do that right now. Obviously I have a background in running supplement companies. Um, and I have expertise in putting together products. It's something I have been considering doing, but you know, I'm just busy with life and um, kids and investing. And so that's, uh, you know, starting new projects is kind of taking a backseat, but um, it probably do what I would do right now if I wanted to uh, start another company. Yeah, I love that. I think it's such an important piece. And I love that you said that you should do things and start your businesses in things that you have a passion about. Because then you can become, become an expert in it and you have a, an, an easier road um, along that doing things that you have a passion about. And I think it's cool that you've kind of moved doing your businesses through your passions. Um, and I also wanted to point out, I think it's super interesting for our audience to hear. Uh, so Travis, um, now that he's you know run a few successful businesses, uh, one of his main passions now is ultra marathon running, which is running 100 mile races, 50 mile races through the mountains. Um, <laughs> uh, can you give us a quick little, uh, a little summary about what you enjoy about that and what value you bring that brings to your life? Yeah. So, uh, an ultra marathon is anything longer than a marathon, you know, 26.2 miles. Uh, they're most commonly 50 mile and hundred mile races in the mountains. Um, usually with thousands of vertical feet of uh, climbing and descent. Um, you know, for me, it's like, uh, I had the, uh, the iron bug doing bodybuilding for over a decade and, um, kind of transitioned, um, not intentionally into the, uh, the trail running. Um, I met up with some friends in Utah who invited me to go on a canyoneering trip, which is, uh, descending down narrow slot canyons. Um, Zion national park is kind of the uh, world capital for those. And, um, you know, you're, you're doing rappelling with ropes, you, uh, oftentimes with wetsuits, um, because they're cold and wet, you know, you're, dropping into pockets of water and then having to escape potholes. Um, it just blew my mind how beautiful it was. I felt like I was on another planet um, thinking, where am I right now? And uh, I kind of realized that I've been, you know, spending all my free time in a concrete box in the gym when I have this, you know, beautiful uh, outdoors here in Utah. And um, from there, I ended up doing a few mountaineering trips with them and I was um, usually the slowest one. I was the strongest one, but when you weigh over 200 pounds and you're trying to lug a bunch of extra muscle up a mountain, it doesn't help you. And so uh, I actually just started doing hiking um, locally to try to improve my cardio. And I just fell in love with it. And that kind of transitioned to trail running. I had a friend who was doing that and um, that got me into it. It's so cool. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's so incredible hearing these entrepreneurs stories and how they're able to now that they've put in the work and they've found their freedom. Now they're able to follow and chase these passions that they have 
And uh, I know last time I was in Utah a few weeks ago, I got to enjoy a nice trail run with you. We didn't do 50 miles, but um, <laughs> I totally <laughs> see on, how you could, I see how you could love it so much. And I love that you're able to now, you know, being successful and running a few companies and you're able to kind of do that with much less hours now, able to do the things you were talking about. You spend time with your with your two sons, you get to run 100 miles in the mountains, um, and now you do all this real estate investing. This is really kind of what, you know, what we love about the podcast. We get to hear the stories of these entrepreneurs, go through some of the tips and things and struggles that they had, um, but then also so kind of see how they come out the end and they get to live the life that they want, live the life that they designed. And what's cool about your story is that I think this is the first person that we've spoken to that never worked for anyone. You know, you've been an entrepreneur since the very beginning and you never ended up having to get a job or work for someone. It was always just you finding a way to make money off of your passions of life. And I think that's such an inspirational thing. And we, we super appreciate you sharing that with us, Travis. Very impressive for sure. All right, let's finish with this. Travis, any websites, tools, books that you want to recommend for our audience that you think would help them on the road to entrepreneurship? Um, yeah, there's a great book called uh, Founders Dilemmas um, that discusses kind of the uh, nitty gritty of um, making partnerships work. Um, there's a bunch of fascinating insights in there. You know, for example, um, there's a question of uh, what is the idea premium? You know, you have two people who are starting a company from scratch together and one of them came up with the idea. Should they get more equity? How much more equity? And so, um, yeah, there's actually it's uh, written by an academic. And, uh, you know, on that topic specifically, he interviewed um, lots of different companies, analyzed them and uh, found that on average, it's about a 15 percent uh, equity uh, for that idea premium. So uh, that's a great book for any people who are um, looking to start a company to kind of get their bearings and solve a lot of initial founders dilemmas. All right, let's do some rapid fire now. Travis, you ready for it? I'm ready. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Ghostbusters. What is something you bought recently that you wish you would have purchased sooner? Um, fully automatic coffee machine. I like that. What is the best advice that your parents ever gave you? Um, once my dad told me that uh, sometimes when people become successful and they have uh, resources and nice things, um, they become bigger jerks. And other times they become more charitable and forgiving, which they're positioned for. So be the better person, not the bigger jerk. I like that. When you come to that fork. Make the right road. That's a super good one. Best vacation you ever had? Um, honeymoon along the French Riviera. Ooh, good one. What two people, dead or alive, would you like to have dinner with? Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sam Harris. Very cool. Well done, Travis. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, subscribe to it, share it with some friends that you think would find some value from it. Thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Freedom podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me.